Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. This is lesson number six on cooperating with God. We have emphasized the need for everyone to cooperate with God. It's absolutely necessary if we desire to experience the things of God in our lives. Really the finished works of Jesus, they've been done for many, many years. But if we want to experience those works of Jesus, then it's up to us to cooperate with God. So whatever he's made available to us does not automatically jump on us. That would be nice, especially when we sleep. Wouldn't that be nice that you can just lay your head on your pillow with the Bible under it and it all just absorbs into your brain and it changes you from the inside out. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be glorious? Doesn't work that way. As we continue our study, we want to share some thoughts about cooperating with God in different areas revealed to us in Scripture. Number one being the Great Commission to show us how important it is to cooperate with God. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, the Great Commission, he told his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents if they drink any deadly thing. It will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So here, number one, we see that he gave the great commission and he told them to go forth and preach the gospel. So cooperating with God is preaching the gospel, whether it's from the pulpit here or in the place of work or in a store walking on the street, wherever we might be, we cooperate with God by presenting the gospel to people. See, God can't do his part to save them until someone preaches to them the gospel. And how shall they hear unless someone's been sent to tell them the gospel? So it's important that we recognize that God wants to use us all as ambassadors to proclaim the gospel to every person you know, that we possibly can. But notice this, God gives people an opportunity to cooperate with him. Those that cooperate, we see here, will be saved. Those that believe the gospel cooperate with him. But those that don't believe the gospel, they're not cooperating with him, and so they won't be saved. The re reason why you got saved is because you cooperated with him and believed the gospel. And thank God you're saved. Then they went and preached everywhere, as the scripture said, and when they did, what did God do? He confirmed the word with signs following. He can't confirm it if we don't preach it. To confirm means to establish it as being true. And so they obeyed him, cooperated with him, proclaimed Jesus everywhere they went. And we see signs and wonders and miracles taking place as God did his part to touch the lives of the people that they ministered to. So it's important that we cooperate with him by preaching the gospel. So if we want our children saved, they need to hear the gospel. If we want our family members saved, they have got to hear the gospel. Praise God. Number two. 
We see here also, when it comes to the promises of God, we need to cooperate with him for those promises to be realized in our lives. If we want to experience the the promises of God, once again, they don't just happen. It's not automatic. It takes cooperation. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Can, can you pull up the NIV on that? The NIV? If you can find that quickly, if not, the NIV, which is in your notes there, the NIV says the amen is spoken by us. The amen is spoken by us. We're getting there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, the NIV. All the promises of God in him are yea. And the amen is spoken by, look, no, no matter what or how many promises God has made, they are yes. What are the promises? Yes, yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Who speaks the amen? We do. Who makes the promises? God does. So cooperating with him, first of all, involves what? Finding out what the promise is. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, Continue in my word, you're my disciple indeed. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. If we don't know the truth, then we won't know the promises of God. We need to do our part to study, to show ourselves to be approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's up to us to find out what the promise is. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It's up to us to get into our Bibles and find out what the Scriptures teach. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the what? Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So we need to study the scriptures to find out what the promises of God are. And there are many promises made to us in the Bible. But if we don't research, if we don't find them, then we're not cooperating with God. But if we cooperate with him by finding out what the promise is, and then secondly, we got to do our part by faith to receive the promise. Look at Acts chapter 19. It's up to us to use our faith to receive the promise. Once again, just because we found it doesn't mean it's automatically manifested in our lives. We cooperate with God as these people did. It came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said to them, have you received? He didn't say, did God give you? Have you received the Holy Ghost? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Notice this, he thought they were believers and says, have you received the Holy Ghost? Which means it's a twofold work of the Spirit. When you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit in the new birth. Here, you can be filled with the Holy Ghost or baptized in the Holy Spirit, but have you received him since you believe? And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. What an answer. What's that? Who's that? He said to them, well then, under what then were you baptized? They said, under John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying, 
unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So here we see that they would have never received salvation. They would have never received the Holy Ghost until they found out what the promise is. Aren't you glad that God made a promise to give us eternal life? And then aren't you glad that he, even beyond that, says, I want you filled with the Holy Ghost, the promise of the Spirit? And so they received the Holy Ghost. They spoke with other tongues. They had an encounter with God that took them beyond just being saved to a place where they encountered the supernatural power of God that equipped them for spiritual service. And every single one of us can receive the Holy Ghost and power, as Acts 1.8 says, pray in the Holy Ghost, and then also in Ephesians 5, we can be being filled with the Holy Ghost. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You realize that's an act of humility? Because if we think we can navigate through life on our own, that's pride. If we think we don't need God's presence and His power, that's pride. If we think we're smart enough, that's pride. But when we surrender our hearts to God, and we let Him know as we humble ourselves before Him and just say, you know what? I don't have enough in me to do what I need to do. I need your awesome power. And not just being saved, but filled with Holy Ghost, dunamis, miracle, working power in my life. And I mean at the rising of the sun. I let you know, Lord, it's not enough who I am. I need your presence, your power, your provision. I need your Holy Spirit manifesting himself in me today. I need to get drunk not with wine where it's in excess, but I need to be being filled with the Holy Ghost until, praise God, I am just consumed with the fire of your spirit. It will change a life. It will change a marriage. It will change a family. If all the people of God would come together that way and just start your day every day, I need your power. I need the ability to rise up above temptation. I need your mercy for things that I do when I fail. And I thank you for mercy. I thank you for grace, your operational power. I thank you for divine enablement. I'm not going at it alone in my own strength or ability. I'm relying and depending upon the power and the might of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. So I thank you that I'm awake again. I'm thanking you for fresh oil. Your scripture says I can get drunk by speaking to myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. One day my wife said to me, who are you talking to in there? I said, Jesus, the Holy Ghost and power. <laughs> Amen. Think about that. We should have a daily ongoing time of interaction with the Holy Ghost and Almighty God through the name of Jesus. And let them know, I need you. Whatever I do, I need you. Wherever I go, I need you. Hallelujah. And then number three. And as we look at that, remember that one statement. You can't say amen to a promise that you don't know. You realize that. You can't say amen to a promise if you don't know the promise. Okay. 
Effective prayer. And quickly we'll get through some of these here. Effective prayer. As far as prayer to be effective, certain things we need to do cooperating with God. How am I going to cooperate with God? Well, number one, we cooperate with him by asking the Father in the name of Jesus. That may seem trivial to some people, but you know what? It's what he said to do. The simplicity of the gospel is this. Just do what he said to do. The way he said to do it. So in John, 8, John 16 verses 23 and 24, what do we read? And in that day you shall ask me nothing. That's Jesus speaking. Verily, verily, I say to you, whatever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. So prayer, cooperating with God in prayer, is asking the Father in the name of Jesus to do what? To perform a promise that he made. And if I ask in Jesus' name, he said, I'm guaranteed an audience. Secondly, also to cooperate with God requires believing or faith. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, verse 22, notice what Jesus said. And all things, or just some things, all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, doubting, wavering, no, believing, you shall receive. Can't be more definite than that. Well, that's one verse, but notice how Mark put a little addition to it. His spin was somewhat different. Notice verse 24, chapter 11, Mark eleven twenty-four. He says, therefore, what things soever you desire when you pray. Now he tells you what to believe. Believe you receive them and you shall have them. What's cooperating with God? Believing I receive them. Whatever I ask in prayer, believing I'll receive. But I've got to believe I receive them in order to have them. So that's important. The next, knowing or not worrying, not worrying. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. And here is the challenge that we all face. We're facing a difficult situation. Our emotional feelings rise up. They want to dictate to our lives, our words, our behavior, our conduct, our attitude. Really, Worrying is the easiest thing anybody can do. But he says, be careful for nothing. Jesus said, take no thought for your life. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here, to cooperate with God, I can't worry when I pray about something. If I'm going to pray about something and then go off and worry about it, I am nullifying the effectiveness of my prayer. I am short-circuiting the power of God. Jesus said worry can add one cubit to our stature. Right? Not one cubit to our stature. So therefore, worrying is not going to be productive in any way. What should I do? Listen to this. Not worrying is a decision, not a feeling. It is a decision, not a feeling. Just because we have feelings of anxiety, feelings of fretting, doesn't mean we are. We can stand against those feelings and emotions with the word of God, declare and decree, I refuse to care, take the care, because someone else cares for me. I cast the whole of my care upon you, Lord, because you care for me and about me. 
So therefore, it's in your hands. And we keep on thanking the Lord for watching over that situation for us, even though our feelings and emotions are wanting to worry. Think about it. Why should we worry about tomorrow when God's already there? He's already there to take care of the situation. And then the next one, knowing God's will is essential if I want to cooperate with God in prayer. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of him. I need to know the will of God. And knowing the will of God produces confidence in us so that we can ask in a way that we know he hears us and we know that we have it. And that kind of dovetails together with the next statement, confidence. Look at 1 John. This is so important with regard to every single one of us when it comes to asking for anything in prayer. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but indeed in truth. Hereby we know that we're of the truth and shall assure our hearts. Notice that statement. Assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And what John is trying to express to us is when we are living in and walking in the realm of love, our hearts are assured. Our hearts are confident. When we're walking in things that contradict love, then our heart is not going to be as confidence, uh, confident. It's not going to be as assured. And we can have a heart that doesn't really receive from God. The enemy will point out our faults, our flaws, our shortcomings, our failures, and do everything he possibly can for us to focus on those things so that we can feel condemned within our heart. And then when you're condemned in your heart and you try to go before the throne of grace... You have a sense of inferiority, sin consciousness, or guilt, or condemnation. But no, John is saying this. When you walk in love, and I walk in the realm of love, it produces something within our hearts to give us great confidence before the throne of God. You know where prayers are answered? At the throne of Almighty God. When we usher ourselves into that place of His presence, praise God, and we are confident before the throne with boldness. Father, my heart is right before you. I am confident because I have your word and I know your will. And therefore, I know you hear me when I pray. And I know I receive the answer to my prayer. I may not see it, hear it, feel it. It does not matter. Praise God, I know I received it. Because I've got confidence in my heart that you heard me. And then, also, no wavering. We're talking about cooperating with God no wavering. Look at James chapter 1, 5 and 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith. If you're going to ask for anything, ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Why? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So when we're 
cooperating with God in prayer, all these are components that are key to our experiencing the answers to our prayers. If we're not cooperating with God by doing these things, then we need to focus our attention on them and just say, okay, I prayed, am I worrying now? Catch yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to put a guard around you, especially around our lips. You know, I'm, I know you heard me. I know I have it. I know the temptation is for us to worry and become frustrated and focus on the problem. But you know what? We need to learn to focus on the problem solver and look to him to honor his word. And whatever his promise is, we know that he is at work, watching over it, making it good on our behalf. Next, when it comes to healing and when it comes to forgiveness and how essential is this. We must cooperate with God by doing what he said. Anybody appreciate the fact that you're forgiven? I thank God we've been forgiven. It's a wonderful feeling to be forgiven. And even though we don't go by feelings or emotions, I'll tell you what, nothing could be better on the inside than to know that you've got a sin-free spirit washed in the blood of the Lamb, paid in full your sin debt. You are his masterpiece, praise God. That's who we are. But you know as well as I do, being in this physical body of ours, we can still be tempted to do what? Not forgive people that wrong us. If you recall the words of Peter, then you're going to have to increase my faith if you want me to forgive someone 490 times a day. And Jesus said if you had faith, you'd say the right thing. But anyhow, walking in the light, and this is essential, walking in the light. Look at um, the scripture here, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That verse of scripture is telling us, if we walk in the light of what we know to do, as long as we're walking in that light, there is a waterfalls of forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ that will cleanse us from even things that we don't know about that we might do wrong in the sight of our Lord. Nobody can be perfect in the flesh, but the precious blood of Jesus is perfect, and it's the perfect sacrifice, praise God, sacrifice for all of us. So as I walk in the light, knowing what he told me to do in one area of my life, there's a waterfalls of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's walking in forgiveness. But then, of course, he knew we might miss the mark. So look at 1 John 1, 9. He knew we could miss the mark along the way. Have you at any time in your Christian experience, miss the mark? Anyone? Sure, we all have, right? Thank God for this verse. If we confess or identify ourselves with our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice the big word is if. We must confess, identify. I realize this extreme grace teaching is telling us that your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And you heard me say it, and I'll say it over and over again. They've been provided for past, present, and future. But it's up to us to confess. Someone says, how can you confess all your sin? Well, you can't. That's why you've got the waterfalls. That's why you've got the blood of Jesus. 
But when you know you've done wrong, confess it as sin. Identify yourself. Don't say your wife made you do it. Or anybody else made you do it. Take responsibility. I shouldn't have said that. That was a bad attitude, Lord. Forgive me for that. Correct me. Praise God. Cleanse me. Thank God for that. And what about here in the book of Matthew? Or Hebrews first. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. It's up to us not only to confess our sin, but also it's up to us to forgive others who wronged us. You know, I've talked to some believers, and it just amazes me beyond words. How they would say to me, I just can't forgive that person. Really? I can't, you have no idea what they've done to me. Really? You have no idea what you've been forgiven of. Really? For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one. That's not the right verse. That should be chapter 12. Can you find chapter 12? Every single one of us can be tempted to be unforgiving and hold, it's 12, 14, and 15, hold bitterness against someone. Anyone and everyone can be tempted. Has anyone ever wronged you? How about the rest of you? Has anyone ever wronged you? Have you been tempted not to want to forgive that person? In that moment of rage and anger, did you say to yourself like, mm, I'm never going to let this go? Well, look at this. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Pretty strong words. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. A root of bitterness is caused by what? Unforgiveness. If we're bitter towards someone, then we haven't let it go. There's no room for bitterness in the life of a believer. Bitterness is poison. It will poison the whole system. And yet many feel as though that it doesn't matter. They've been hurt. They feel justified in holding something against someone. That is not what the scriptures teach. We've been forgiven the $25 million debt. So to forgive someone who owes us a penny is wrong in the sight of God. Matter of fact, look at Matthew's gospel chapter 6. This is what Jesus said. To cooperate with God in the area of forgiveness. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And when Jesus taught in Matthew 18 about the person who wouldn't forgive the small debt when he was forgiven the large debt, look what he said in chapter 18. Scary. Matthew 18, 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. He threw him into prison, said you're not going to come out until you pay the full debt. And he says it's essential, it's important that every single one of us forgive those that have wronged us in any way from where? The heart. Not your feelings and emotions. We forgive by faith. We forgive by acting on the word. It has nothing to do with our feelings and emotions. 
like, again, an example is counseling with people. Sometimes they'll say, but I just have these feelings that rise up against me. All this, these emotions that tell me I haven't forgiven. You're basing it on how you feel. You're not basing it on the truth of God's word. From your heart, you forgive. And even though your feelings might be a bitterness or resentment or animosity, you put your feelings in their place. You don't let the enemy use your feelings and emotions to dictate to your life to make you think you didn't forgive someone. You forgive by faith. We forgive by making a choice, a decision. I choose to release that person of their indebtedness to me by faith. It's a decision that I make. I will not harbor bitterness, animosity, or anything of that nature against that person. Why? Well, first of all, I want to stay forgiven. Jesus forgave me, and I ought to forgive others. I can honestly tell you, I don't have a problem with that. And I pray that you don't either. I know what I've been forgiven. So no matter what anybody does, I forgive. Look at the next one, healing. Healing to cooperate with God, there are certain things we have to do. And I realize that some people think, well, are you talking about works? This is not works. This is called cooperation. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, my son, attend to my words. We have to attend to his words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. They'll become life to you and health to all your flesh. Notice how we cooperate. We attend by listening to, thinking about, and believing in the word of God. They'll become life to you and health to all your flesh. So if we don't do our part, how can God do his? And then understanding the power of the name of Jesus. Look at Acts 3.16. This man that was healed at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong. What made him strong? His name through faith in his name. Whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Notice that entire verse is talking about the power of the name of Jesus and having faith in the power of that name. It's his name that made him strong. It's faith in his name that made him strong. We must maximize the name of Jesus and its power and minimize the power of the sickness or the disease. And I know it's a struggle. I know it's a challenge. Especially when we have feelings of pain, etc., etc. But we almost got to get to a place to say, Lord, I'm cooperating with you, not my feelings and my emotions. I know exactly what my feelings tell me. I know what the doctors tell me. I know what my body is saying to me. But as far as I'm concerned, I am cooperating with you. Your word says, by his stripes I was healed. Therefore, I call myself healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's cooperating with God. And then also, calling, look at this next one in James chapter 5. We have instructions here that we have to follow or cooperate with, okay? Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with whole in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. If he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. 
Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. For the effectual, fervent, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. Dynamic in its working is the amplified version of that verse. So we're supposed to do what? Cooperate by calling church elders. Pray the prayer of faith. Praise God. And also confess our faults. And if we'll do our part, God has promised to do his part. Can I ask you a simple question? Who do you think is more capable of failure? Us doing our part or God doing his part? Pretty easy answer, isn't it? Absolutely. Look at the next one, overcoming temptation. We're talking about cooperating with God. When we are tempted to do things that go against the will of God. Cooperating with God involves resisting the devil, no question. Too many verses there in Matthew chapter 4. But you know the first 12 verses of the chapter. Jesus was taken up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted of the devil. So when temptation came his way, how did he overcome the temptation? It is written. It is written. It is written. Why am I saying that? Think about it. When you're tempted to do the wrong thing, how many times do you stand there and say, it is written? How many times do you rise up with a verse of scripture and say, it is written? To speak to the situation, to speak to the temptation, to speak to the feelings or the emotion, to speak to whatever it is that's trying to get us to do the wrong thing. Someone speaks to us and tries to tell us to do the wrong thing. It is written. Your flesh wants to do the wrong thing. My flesh wants to do the wrong thing. It is written. Every time I go for that third piece of pizza, I say, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, so stop and have a Coke. We must declare it is written, it is written, it is written. Can you say that with me? It is written. Hallelujah. That's how we overcome temptation. It is written. One statement, it is written, a verse for every part of man's being, spirit, soul, and body. That's why there were three. Body, the food, the soul, to misinterpret scripture, misrepresent scripture. Hey, if you fall off the temple, it won't matter because he'll pick you, the angel will pick you up. He messed with his mind, but Jesus said it's written. And then, of course, spiritually speaking, he wanted him to bow down and worship. He said, no, it's written. It's written. You really, there's power in words. And when we speak the word of God, death and life are in the power of this tongue. And when we say, praise God, it is written, you have no power over me. I'll tell you what, it goes a long way. Amen. And then also, how about this one? Yielding to righteousness. Yielding to righteousness. Once again, I, I take us back to this excessive kind of faith teaching. And let us all know, I'll be honest with you, it's not of God. Look in Romans chapter 6. Look at what it says. He's speaking to believers that are born again and spirit filled. Likewise reckon you also yourselves to, to be dead indeed to sin. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not, don't you let, let not, don't you let sin. Therefore sin reign in your mortal body. That you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not, shall not, shall not have dominion over you for you're not under the law but under grace. 
And what that means is grace is sufficient for us to rise up above the temptation, but it's up to us to yield to righteousness and not yield to unrighteousness. Sin has no dominion over any of us. We need to tell ourselves that, remind ourselves of that, instead of falling victim to it by thinking, well, there's nothing I can do about who I am, nothing I can do about the way I am. Some have said, hey, I get angry because I'm Italian. That's how they bleed just because you're Italian, you've got to have an anger problem. Well, I, I don't believe that's true. Because you know what? You had a blood transfusion. And now you belong to God. And now you're a new creation. And now you're an heir of God. And now you're a joiner with Jesus. And now you're made more than a conqueror. And your feelings and emotions have no authority or dominion over you or over me. Praise God. If we by the lie and believe that there's nothing we can do about our emotions, about anger and that sort of thing, then guess what? We'll, we'll be victimized by them. And we'll yield to them. But praise God, we do not have to yield to it if we choose not to. Sin has no dominion over us. We can yield to righteousness and holiness and truth. Okay, next one. Counting it all joy. I love this one. Count it all joy. Look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy. Give a command of joy when you fall into diverse what? Temptations. But no, notice this. You do it with knowledge. Not without knowledge, I'm tempted to do this. And, and, and don't ever forget this. When there's temptation and not the opportunity, you're good. When there's the opportunity and not the temptation, you're good. But when temptation meets opportunity, look out. We need to use our faith. He says, count it all joy when you fall into these diverse temptations, trials, of your faith. Knowing this, the trying of your faith works patience. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. This is a way to develop power to rise up above temptation. So he's saying, count it joy because your feelings and emotions certainly don't want to be joyful, but you command it to be joyful. And if you do that, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength and you rise up above the temptation and you overcome it. So we're cooperating with God by counting it all joy. And then look at this one. Finding the way of escape. Mm. Seek and ye shall find. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Hallelujah. Who will not allow you to be tempted above you are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is a way of escape. We should tell ourselves that. Lord, you made a provision for me, a way of escape out of temptation. You're tempted to do this or you're tempted to do that. But you know, there's a way of escape. I'm looking to you to provide that way for me. I know you're going to show me that way and I'm going to take that way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that road is the way of death. There's a way that God has for us that's higher than the ways of man. You take the higher road, you walk the higher place, and amen, you please God. And you know what? Every time we act on the word like this, we're changed by it. This is what being changed from glory to glory is all about. 
that we don't let anger control our lives, that we don't be overcome by temptation. Can you imagine the apostle Paul, how he was tempted to quit along the way? I believe many pastors have left their churches because they were tempted to quit because the going got tough. What area of life isn't tough? Think about it. No matter who we are, we're going to have challenges along the way. Jesus said there'll be storms that come to every single one of us. And so it's up to us to make a decision. I'm honoring God in my life, with my choices, with my decisions. I, no matter what my feelings tell me, I'm going to honor God and do it his way. And next one, and this one, I really want us to focus on and, and take to heart. Encountering God. Encountering God. Anybody here want to have a fresh encounter with God? You know, I pray all the time for us to have an Isaiah 6 moment, a prodigal son moment, Damascus Road experience, according to the need of every person in our assembly of believers. A Damascus Road experience, a visitation where Jesus just shows up in someone's life who's going the opposite way but manifest himself to that person in a powerful and glorious way and makes them do a 180, just like the Apostle Paul did. A prodigal son moment. Should there be a child that's not walking with God among us? Someone that's wayward like the prodigal son of old? A prodigal son moment. I pray, dear Father God, that that person would be touched in such a way within his or her heart that they would lift up their eyes just like the prodigal son of old did and said, what in the world am I doing in this dark place? Father's house has so much more for me, and I know I'm not worthy to go back there, but I'm going back. No matter what he says to me, I'd rather live with him, praise God, than do what I'm doing now. Yes, it took them a lot to get to that place, but they had an encounter with God. That person had an encounter with God. It took them to, at, to get to the lowest place to finally get up and go back to Father's house. And of course, he was welcomed with wide open arms by the Father. A prodigal son moment. What about an Isaiah 6 moment? Mm, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and full of glory. Oh, that's my longing desire. You want an encounter? We want an encounter high and lifted up full of glory. His train fills the temple. My eyes are heaven bound, heavenward. I'm looking at you, Father, high, lifted up, full of glory. Your tra- I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I want to rise up to the higher places in you and with you. I want to see a greater manifestation of your glory in my life. I want your spirit of glory to rest upon me. I want Kabod written on, written on me, not Ichabod, but Kabod, the glory of God, resting on me like a cloak, praise God, every day of my life so I can be so consumed with with your presence and your power and your fire everywhere I go people will know I've been in your divine presence I pray that for us this assembly of believers every day to be filled with this presence of God this fullness of God encountering him well how do I cooperate with God to experience that encounter Isaiah 40 number one waiting on God waiting on him. look at verse 31 but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and remember this there's no substitute for this they will mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, and walk and not faint. There's going to be an exchange that takes place. 
And that's only going to take place when we wait on the Lord. Waiting means to seek by worship, by prayer, by the study of the word. I'm waiting on you. I'm just waiting in your presence, Lord. I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to worship you, bless you for a while, read your word for a while. I'm just going to talk to you. Praise God until maybe you get weary of me talking. I don't know, whatever, whatever it might be. I just want to encounter you. I'm going to put myself in my little cubicle somewhere. It might be in my car driving down the highway. It's good to have an encounter with God on the highway. Amen. Praise God. You know you're surrounded by holy angels. His presence is right there to protect and keep you safe and etc. etc. But to have an encounter with God, I've got to cooperate with him. And how do I do that? Wait on him. And then be still. Look at Psalms 46.10. Just worship him, bless him, stay in his presence, draw from his presence. Be still and know that I'm God. Just that first part of the verse. Be still and know that I am God. Get calm in your emotions and just wait upon me. Pray in the Holy Ghost, study the word, and be still. I guarantee he's going to show up. And then thirdly, and finally, it's also important that we declare, make declarations of the word. He wants to hear the word coming out of our mouths. Look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. What does it say? This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. So what he's saying is we must make declarations. You want to have an encounter with God? I've had some encounters with God, and I know it was based on the word that I would speak every day. Because I'll be honest with you, I'm just as, I'm just as a human as you are. And I don't want my relationship with God to be mechanical, just like you don't. And sometimes the devil will come along and just tell you, why do you can confess the word over and over again? What's it going to do for you? What's it going to achieve in your life? You know what? If we keep on staying with the word and proclaiming it and declaring it, it's going to affect me personally. It's going to bring change into my life. And also, it's going to set loose, I believe, ministering angels to minister for me, unleash the miracle-working power of God. You know, you've heard me say before, my pathway is life, there is no death. My pathway is life, and there is no death. In my pathway is life, and there is no death. And you just keep saying it over and over again, confessing the word. And that's what it actually means. To mutter, to utter. This book of the law shall not depart out of your what? Ear? No, mouth. I've got to say it. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You know why I have to keep saying it over and over again? To get myself to believe it. That's why. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Your power in me is greater than any foe I can face in this life. You're greater in me than anyone, than anything that I face in this life. And I know you're in me now. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. Oh, hallelujah. Angels have charge over me to bear me up in their hands lest I dash my foot against a stone. I know angels are listening right now. I know they're all around me. And I know they're waiting for me to proclaim the word so they can do what it is the word says to do. For they hearken to the voice of his word. You want a fresh encounter with God? Start declaring the word. Get alone with God. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together before the Lord right here in this place.